Welcome to the Pubway Podcast. Each episode will showcase a conversation with a leader from the publishing world. If you're working at a publisher, a DSP or SSP, or you're just curious about the media industry and want to sit down and pick the brains of the experts from within the publishing space, then this is the show for you. Um, so hello and welcome to the Pubway Podcast. My name is Tina Yanakino. And I'm Mike Villalobos. And today we're actually covering three major topics in the publisher ecosystem. Uh, the first one being uh, basically publisher and advertiser relationship. The second is what is the strategy coming when it comes to contextual within that publisher ecosystem. And then third, DE and I, uh, and how that plays into just buying within advertisers and the role publishers play within um, offering that up to culture and community. And it's my absolute pleasure to introduce my friend, Justin Barton, who's the SVP at Digital Strategy and Partnerships at Black Enterprise. Justin, I'm sorry we're not in the south of France doing this interview right now. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's okay. I'm glad to be here, um, you know, missing that great weather over there and uh, everybody, but um, it's good to be home. So I'm glad to uh, be able to do this with you, even if we're doing it remotely. Wonderful. And before we dive into the content buckets that Mike just called out, I'd love to have our listeners hear a little bit more about your background to just give some context to, to why we're top covering these topics today. Yeah. So certainly, um, I'm, like I said, Justin Bard, Senior Vice President of Digital Strategy and Partnership at Black Enterprise. So in this role, I'm in charge of everything from um, written content on site, the video content on site, to ad ops, programmatic, social, um, our new CTV offerings, podcasting. So pretty much everything that has to do with the digital realm, um, you know, that that's what I, I work on. Uh, Black Enterprise is what was a magazine that started, was started in 1970. Uh, and then in the 50th anniversary, which I believe was uh, 2020, we sunset the magazine. So now we are a digital organization and we always had a big events business. So we're a digital and events business um, that's focused on the black community. So we are essentially, I like to say, the black Forbes or fortune um, of the media space. And, and that's what we do. And in my career, you know, I started out um, in media finance at um, Disney ABC domestic television. And then I moved over. I worked for uh, Viacom. I've worked for iHeart. I've worked for Daily Mail in various roles, whether it's finance to um, analytics to audience development, and now pretty much running um, the whole host of, um, like I said, um, functions at Black Enterprise. So well-versed in the industry, been around for a while, a little over 10 years. So, you know, always happy to uh, speak about different subjects that we're going to talk about today. So you're basically the joke, the, the Justin of all trades. <laughs> yeah, that's, a good, that's a good one. That's a good one. Never thought of that, but I will use that in the future. Well, cool, man. Um, I, I think just to kick things off, uh, in your perspective, I, I think brand safety is a massive concern, I think, across every brand or advertiser's mind. My question is, is it the publisher, the advertiser, the agency's job to find brand safety? Um, and how do you define that, right? I think because now suitability is now in the conversation of, you know, what is right for one is not right for all and vice versa. So what are your thoughts on like, brand safety? Who holds that, that responsibility? Is it a joint responsibility? Well, I think it's somewhat joint responsibility. So on, when you say defining brand safety, that really happens at the brand slash agency side. You know, them giving us the, let's say, keywords or whatever they're looking um, to not be shown next to, um, different categories they might not want, you know, news being one possibly. And then from the publisher side, it's for us to, you know, essentially execute on this. So looking at the IO, making sure that we're putting all those brand safety terms into the system. 
and then making sure that we don't put their advertising next to that, those type of subject matters. So, you know, one of the big things that you always hear in the media space, especially, you know, having me work for the Daily Mail and other places like Black Enterprise, is that, you know, a lot of people don't want to be seen, a lot of advertisers don't want to be seen around news. And I think, you know, we try to push back on that, saying there's a lot of news out there that's newsworthy, and it, it's not everything in news is bad, right? There are things that you must be next to. News drives a lot of traffic to the site. So basically sectioning off news and saying you can't place our ads next to news does hurt, um, you know, us, the media companies financially. But at the same time, you're losing a lot of engaged, uh, you know, visitors to the site who might be engaging with your ads. So there's one thing, you know, for example, when I worked at Daily Mail, you know, if you have like a plane crash, putting ads next to that, that's not good. Or back in the day, ISIS beheadings next to ads, not good. But it's different when you're talking about social justice, which we talk a lot about, or DEI, or things that might be considered quote unquote woke. Those aren't necessarily, those are just buzzwords to me. But I think that, um, you know, we try to work with the agencies and the brands to know that we want to expand their advertising towards that because they're worthwhile, worthwhile conversations that our audience wants to hear about and you know they're very engaged and it'll be great to have their ass next to so it's just really um a give and take and an education process working with the agency to see that you know these you know these subject matters are not something that should be off limits that's fair i think so it'd be helpful to understand some of like the collaboration tactics you've done in the past in terms of like how do you make someone feel comfortable and because i think you hit nail on the head of you know, you have to educate the advertisers so they feel comfortable. Um, any tactics that you've done in the past that like someone can pick up from and maybe anecdotally what you've done to, you know, breed that like, like that or sure. foster that, that comfortability? Well, I think, you know, certainly having a really great relationship with multiple different groups higher up at the agency or the holding company is the way to go. So we have different relationships with high end folks who work at the agency where, they know a lot of the issue that black media tends to have is that there are a lot of terms that are in these keyword block lists that hurt us because there are terms that we use all the time that are not necessarily negative, but it's, you know, it's, it's a list that was created who knows how many years ago and it's causing um, us to have difficulties delivering because we can't show ads against that. So really speaking with those people, at the agency who can talk to different planning groups and say, hey, this is essentially, you know, these terms are not necessarily negative. So let's remove them for the list. Let's remove some of these targetings from the list, um, especially when dealing with minority owned black media, um, minority targeted media, those type of things. So that, that's really what the education process is, is really having people higher up at the agencies really work with the planning teams and say, hey, okay, this is, you know, it's not gonna work we're not going to scale as well if you have these terms that are maybe general market terms and trying to apply it to, um, you know, certain media companies. And, and that's really um, the main discussion. So it's just, you know, cooperation and working with the agency to free up some of those terms. Absolutely. And I feel like also hitting the nail on the head with audience targeting, it's, it's evolving. It's not going away, especially with the decline of cookie-based tracking on the horizon. Google, as we know, keeps moving the goalposts, but seemingly 2024 is the next renaissance of this movement. And of course, publishers are continue to face new challenges and opportunities for generating revenue there. And Black Enterprise in particular, I know you have a very strong direct sales strategy. You have those relationships. But how do you see post-cookie revenue strategies changing for publishers um, with that direct sales strategy in mind and the open web and the evolution there? Yes. Yeah, so 
Black Enterprise is in a, I would say, a very positive uh, situation where, you know, we have a lot of contextual content that works for the African-American Black community. So if you're trying to reach that audience, you can reach us in a contextual basis. And like you mentioned, Tina, we are very, very direct soul through. So the cookie apocalypse, while I understand why a lot of organizations and media companies are, you know, very worried about it, when you're not so reliant on programmatic open marketplace, it really helps you as an organization because if they want to reach this audience, they now can say, cherry pick and say, I can find the black audience on NBA.com or ESPN.com or BuzzFeed. You have to come to um, media companies that have that audience contextually, and then you can put the ads display, banner, uh, video right next to that. And I think, so for us, it's a positive, the cookie apocalypse, but I understand, you know, obviously organizations that are 95% or 100% uh, programmatic, it does hurt them because they have a wide swath of audiences on their site, and now it's hard to activate against it because there's just that um, unknown as to, you know, exactly if this is the right person, the advertiser will be getting if they advertise um, with this, you know, media company. So uh, for us, it's a positive, but not for everybody. A bit of a tangential question to have uh, that kind of popped up over the last week or so was, uh, like not all cookies are made equally, right? So third, par third parties are going away. Uh, but I think there's a lot of first party data strategies happening within publishers. Do you guys have a first party data strategy kind of baking in place? And, and how do you look at that? Yeah, we do slightly. And, it, you know, for everybody, like logged in audiences are very small. But, you know, we do have a substantial email newsletter list. And we, like I said, we put on, um, we put on events. So we have a lot of deep data onto a sizable percentage of our audience saying we know their name, their address, you know, where they, where they live, what profession they're in, what company work they work for. So we have a lot of first party data that we could target off of there. But as for a logged in audience, we've not, you know, pushed that as um, a requirement or put up a paywall or done stuff to um, make people take the next step. We want people to get to our site and engage with the, with the content. But looking forward, um, you say 2024, moving forward there, it might be something that we decide to do is, you know, give some kind of incentive or limit the amount of content people can see just by not logging in. If you log in, then fine, you get it. We're not trying to pay well, you get money from you that way, but we're just trying to get a little bit more information about who comes to the site. So there are different things we might do in the future, but right now we're just collecting all the information, the first party data we can uh, on as many users who want to be engaged with Black Enterprise um, on a monthly basis, on a daily basis with our uh, daily newsletter and with our events business, um, in-person, virtual, town halls, whatever it may be, capturing you know, data and information on individuals that way. Yeah, absolutely. And I also think it opens up an interesting conversation around, especially with when you're trying to reach in specifically Black audiences, it goes to, are you reaching Black-owned or the Black audience? And mm -hmm. we, we've seen all the media commitments come out, and there's kind of these nuances between the two. And of course, there's overlap. But when you use contextual, you're not necessarily going to towards how someone self-identifies, but you're going to the interest, yeah. which might happen to align to the community that the advertiser is trying to reach. So there's so many nuances there. And I, I think there is some confusion as well. And for Justin, we've talked before about the black tech tax it, and, and having to kind of pay to prove who you are. And I, I'd love to hear kind of your perspective as we've talked in other rooms, but on this podcast now. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's like the two questions you have are kind of interrelated. So the first one is, you know, black owned media versus black targeted media. So black enterprises, black owned media, where you know, I won't name 
too many organizations. But let's say if you see through the news what Group Black is trying to do, if they're successful in it, whether it was Bustle, whether it was Vice, or whether it's the Arena Group, that uh, that's not even Black Targeted, that's Black owned. But then you have Black Targeted, which would be more of like a BET where they are now, maybe like The Root, um, those type of organizations. So, you know, it is, there is something to, and what we push the agencies on is, and brands are for Black owned, because we're capitalized in a way and our mission is needs to be funded to give black audiences certain content. I think, you know, I always hear Roland Martin talk about this. It's one of the things he always says. It's like, you know, we give sometimes the black media organizations the lowest common denominator of content. It's always like entertainment based and it's always like sports. But what Black Enterprise does, we want, we're business. You know, we're Forbes and Fortune. We want to do business or we want to do high-end lifestyle, right? And I think the only way you can really do non-aggregated content in that way is if black publishers are getting dollars that are funded to reaching that audience and not necessarily, you know, funding black owned groups that are now essentially targeting, um, you know, general market audiences or giving money to, you know, public companies that are targeting black audiences. It's best if the black owned media is able to really take that, you know, the revenue and then hire more editors, which I've done a lot at, at Black Enterprise, and then put people on, on on the streets and make sure they're going to all the events and reporting. Um, we we want to do that. So I think that's one. And then two, you're talking about sort of like the black tax. There there are, you know, a lot of networks and, um, you know, black SSPs that are out there and they get some of that, you know, they're black owned and they get some of those dollars and then they take their percentage and then it, you know, then the DSP takes their percentage and then it comes to us. And then, so that is sort of like the black tax. If you, you know, not have that SPO when you're kind of going around uh, the black media companies, it's just, you know, everybody deals with it obviously throughout the industry, but it's, you know, especially um, an issue for black owned media. Um, if it's a, you know, a shoestring company or, you know, you're trying to make things happen is that you're having 20, 30, 40% being taken out before it reaches you. So we, we try to push a lot of like different types of SPOs, not necessarily the ones you read um, in the news where, you know, DSPs just going right to publishers or SSPs going around DSPs. It's more of like, how can we have direct relationships with the demand partners and get as much of um, the piece of the pie of that CPM as possible? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, too, you, you touched on an interesting point with the general market note. Obviously, Black Enterprise is very apparent on what, what you stand for and what you're covering. But there are a ton of Black media owners who their website might mimic the general market just based on their audience and the content topics they cover. That does not mean they should be shifted away from that media investment as an advertiser who might be looking at the audience and going to the nuances of own versus um, audience. But yeah, yeah, that's a good thing. Just I mentioned like so obviously we have good SEO at Black Enterprise. So if you look at our audience, a huge percentage, probably like 40% are not black because people are typing in a subject into Google or Bing or, or Yahoo and they're coming to our site just because we have that information. So it's not that, you know, we're not targeting that audience, but we're putting the information out there. And if our information rings high, we have no problem, you know, displaying that content and, and the advertising. So not against that, but yeah, they're, they're just, you know, we, we're very deliberate in making sure we're pushing forward our mission. And when we speak to the agencies and brands, making sure that we're deliberate in saying, this is where you should run this media because we are black owned and we are black targeted. I was actually gonna, gonna tail in on that real quickly, but like 
do you, when you create content, are you creating content with the intent for a certain audience or inclusivity? Like, I guess, how do, how do you look at the content strategy and, and what, where, where do you start and where does it end kind of thing? Yeah, I think it, it is it is deliberate. So we are pushing forward content. Most of it has some type of, you know, black angle. So it's, you know, black entrepreneurship or it's this is what's happening in the black news space or this is what's happening in the social justice space. But then again, being a business publication, sometimes it's like, here's what's happening, um, you know, in the markets right now. Here's a better way to do personal finance. You know, so it, there's there's a, there's a give and take there. But like today, obviously, um, with the decision coming down from the Supreme Court, it, it's um, it's Thursday. And, um, you know, we have to talk about that. So uh, with affirmative action. So there, there's a whole host of things, depending on what the um, what the news cycle brings us that we talk about. But then there's a whole bunch of um, other content. It's just evergreen in nature. And, you know, there are always people in our in our um, audience who are creating new businesses that are, you know, pushing forward new ideas. Um, and helping drive black business that we report on on a day-to-day -day basis. And that always happens. So we try to take local stories that we see throughout the nation and bubble them up to become national stories. And, and that's been a big success for us. Um, and I think too, and we kind of touched upon context before, but kind of in promoting audience diversity, how do you think context and help kind of play that crucial role, especially when it comes to avoiding labeling or stereotyping? Yeah, um, you know, the content space is, is very difficult, and this is actually the first time, like I mentioned, that I get to run content and and push it out there. And I would say, you know, you have to be careful the way you report things. And, you know, what we try to do really is take news um, in general and give it to the black audience in our voice and be an authentic, authentic voice to the black audience. So that's really what we're trying to do. Um, you know, we're not trying to do anything in a stereotypical uh, sense or anything like that. We're just trying to give the audience news that they might not see or they might get from a general media company and not trust it as much. So be that authentic voice that talks to every subject. So Black Enterprise DNA has always been in business. But like I said, we do like news, we do social justice, we do lifestyle, we do arts and culture. You know, we do we do travel. We handle all those things, and we try to be um, a trusted, authentic voice for our audience. All right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna shift gears and, and give you uh, something you probably heard a thousand times in can uh, AI. <laughs> sure, <laughs> sure, sure that didn't come up at all again. But um, I, I think <laughs> where do you see artificial intelligence or even like machine learning models playing within your own like your own kind of approach in the next five to ten years? And do you think? the release to say like ChatGPT and generative AI, do you think that's changed your perspective on publishing, copywriting, et cetera? Yeah. So I think the first thing I'm looking at right now is the copywriting portion of it. Um, not trying to take anybody's jobs, but at the end of the day, we want to make sure every article that goes out and we're doing 30 to 50 articles a day at Black Enterprise is, you know, the, it, it, the copy editing is done perfect. And I think, you know, we have copy editors, but at the same time, if it could be done more efficiently and right away, it doesn't require a human to sit there and go through it and then slow down the process. You want to get the news out as quickly as possible. So I think that's the first thing, you know, just copy AI, Notion, different places. I'm just looking at that. Haven't necessarily put anything in motion yet, but certainly that's what I'm looking for in the short term, meaning within the next three months, a little bit shorter, longer term is, you know, certainly what can be written um, in an authentic voice 
via AI. Um, and I think there's, you know, I'm a big believer in investing in editorial talent. So I would never be the person to say, let's get rid of editorial um, writers and talent. I think it's extremely important and that's what I invest in. But at the same time, there's certain stories that might, you know, almost like news um, press releases that can be auto-generated, but flipped into something, um, into an article that's more readable and not as preachy, not as, you know, standard PR tactics. So, you know, I think that's the next step looking there where things can be um, um, done in that respect. But, you know, even in, you know, when I do certain events at Black Enterprise and I'm moderating, I've actually been using, you know, AI to help me generate the questions I ask because it comes up with such great questions. So there's a whole host of things I think you'll see in the future. It's not necessarily a job destroyer. People who can harness the power of AI, I think will do great. And uh, certainly a generation younger than me, they'll be much better at it. But I'm trying to keep abreast of all the new things that are coming out and trying to test it out and play with it and and see where I can utilize it to make um, the job I do more efficient, the people who work for me more efficient. It's almost like a scale and check the way I've looked at it, right? Like it allows you to scale in the sense that you can mass produce and then you have someone with, with a talent of copywriting or writing in general um, to actually check, add, add nuance or take away, you know, sure. you know, anything that may be biased or false. And then you, again, yep. that scale and check component, right? But uh, I, I love that approach for sure just because now you're producing 60, 80 articles a day versus 20. Correct. Yeah. And that's sort of the game. Like at the end of the day, and things have changed big time um, with traffic generation, but a lot of it used to be like sort of like the hockey stick. Like a few articles get the most traffic a day and you're trying to hit on some. So you're right, going from 50 to 80, maybe you hit on two or three more articles a day and that increases your UVs over a month um, by like two, three, four million. So there is opportunity there, but you want... You know, especially for us, we want the content to be authentic and just seeing how the voice of the AI turns out is something to look forward to in the future. Uh, and it could be something great or it might not work. But I think as the more data you put into it, the more like LLMs, you know, get better understanding of even like, you know, the black voice um, in a way our writers write. It could be something substantial in the future. I think what's fascinating, too, is, is you if you look at like like tr the right training sets. Right. Um, so. Not for nothing, but like if you look when Google first came out, they were have they had a, a ton of biases coming into play because they just they had a lot of skewed visions or training sets. Whereas now, if you're actually building it off of say Black Enterprise as a domain, you're you're kind of catching that voice that you already had and carrying it forward. Um, so I, I would say like your your data is only as good as your training set, and the training set and and the generation of that actually matters. So. I think this is going to be a really big revolutionary movement, but we'll see how it plays out in the next, you know, two, three years. Yeah. yeah. So looking forward to it. Yeah. And kind of on that note, I'm um, clearly you've been, you've been around the block a few times and how you've seen the landscape evolve over those years, I guess, how do you see it evolving even more with the kind of AI in mind over the next few years? Like what opportunities do you foresee for publishers that are kind of on the horizon that you're most excited about? You know, uh, like I said, things have changed and they always change. So there's always ups and downs. Um, you know, I've always been sort of in the mind of, I want to run the business model that makes the most sense for the company I work for. And, you know, in Black Enterprise, we were very low when I got here, probably 400,000 UVs. And then we hit a max of 13 million UVs. And now we're down, um, you know, somewhere like 8 million. But I think over the time, it's like, how can we continue to give our audience and expand our audience uh, to seeing our content and the traffic sources always change and the mediums always change. And 
I think what I'm looking forward to right now, um, like I mentioned before, having an events business and capturing all this content video wise and having virtual events and having seven weekly shows that we do um, and having town halls is really looking to the CTV, OTT, fast space and seeing how we can be a voice. Um, you know, right now, especially in the AA black space or all the fast networks, most of what you see there is either movies or entertainment content. And I think, like I mentioned before, I think there's an appetite for having higher end content that's about business, that's about leisure. And it's, you know, I think arts and culture, lifestyle, and I think that's what I want to see if Black Enterprise could tap into. And the deals that I'm making right now around that space, um, we're trying to bring our content with a programming guide and put it out there so we get to span our audience from just sort of like the web digital portion app that we have now to um, the big screen. So, uh, you know, it's certainly so many things are changing over the years, and that's what I'm looking to see if, if that's an avenue. Obviously, podcasting was has been big, is big now. But, you know, there's, di there's different things that, um, you know, we could be doing out there. And we want to make sure we're touching all the different mediums. Magazine used to be a big media for Black Enterprise for 30 plus years, 40 years. But now we're into digital, we're into events, and hopefully, um, you know, online video in a, in a big sense. Yeah, I, I think all of us, it'd be silly to not have CTV on your radar in, in some form at this point. Um, and I think the, there's a really cool opportunity. I'm not sure if you're dealing in like the creator economy at all, but helping helping leverage voices in the community, using your your platform to get them into those channels, like that could be a, an, an absolutely amazing opportunity for yeah, sure. Yeah, and I think, like you said, there's so many people who are doing great work who don't have that exposure. And what Black Enterprise has is a megaphone. So we've done a lot of different things. Um, what is called Green Enterprise, which is about, you know, the marijuana business within, uh, you know, black business. And, you know, a whole bunch of other people are doing podcasts out there that could be simulcast and, and put out there and, and the, the message gets out. So we're trying to work with creators to fill out our schedule and help them monetize and at the same time give them the big voice. So then if they have to go on off on their own. They'll have that opportunity, but you know, it helps us with content. It helps them with exposure. And I think that quid pro quo is something that we're working on right now as we continue to build out more and more content uh, video wise. So I think, um, you know, creator economy is huge and it's something to be reckoned with. Cause if you think about it, you look at like a show that might be like the nightly news or, or even any cable news or whatever it may be. Uh, it might do like two, 3 million people watch it, but you can have a creator that does something and you have, 40 million views. So it, it, there is more captivity there. And I think there's more of an audience there. And I think that's the way that um, media agencies and brands and publishers should be looking towards. I think with, uh, to your point of like things to look forward to, um, what excites you the most looking into the next 12 to 18 months in terms of technology, opportunity, or just the market in general? Yeah, I, I think the opportunity is still, it's what it's been since I would say mid-pandemic especially for the work that I do is, you know, working to continue to push forward with direct sales and getting that in the door, moving more people from open market to PMPs or PGs. Um, and with the cookie apocalypse coming may or may not come, but, you know, making sure that people are looking at this contextual marketplace, working with the SPOs um, and making sure that we're getting, you know, rid of a lot of the black tax as we spent, talked about before. So there's a lot going on always. Um, you know, you, I used to focus a lot on traffic sources, but now I'm kind of like 
this is where things are and you have to adapt. But, you know, certainly looking at different ways of reaching our audience, um, that's what I'm excited for is the simplification of um, a lot of the, uh, I would say, ad tech stack. And in addition to that, um, you know, really looking at ad net zero as well. Um, what is the best way to, you know, get our carbon footprint down in the industry and pushing towards that in 2030? So those are the things that I'm kind of working towards. Um, but, you know, you have a lot of balls in your air. We're juggling them and, and hopefully, you know, everything will will land uh, in the appropriate spot when the time is right. So um, I'm, I'm very hopeful for the industry. I like being in this industry. That's why I've been in it for, you know, 10 to 15 years. And um, I could, it continues to change everything we did two, three, five years ago is totally different now. So always looking forward to what the next thing is going to happen uh, for us. Love it. Wonderful. Well, I mean, this has been amazing. And I'd love to kind of end with one more question. And you've, you've shared so many nuggets already, but I would love to know personally, what's the best and worst advice that you've ever received that can be career related or personal related? <laughs> you can well, the, the best advice is probably Justin, talk a little less and listen more. But um, no, I think the, the best advice, well, the best advice I give, I would say, is, you know, always look for people who have intellectual curiosity, always work with them and always work with, you know, partners who are in the publishing space. So I think I've always been throughout my career. Um, I go to different organizations and there's a mixed match of vendors, of partners um, that are marketing ones that shouldn't be um, with publishing. So that is, you know, the thing that I tell people, and that's the best advice that I've gotten is, you know, make sure you're working with the right partners um, and turning into, you know, transactional relationships into interpersonal, personal relationships. And the worst advice I've gotten, you know, I can't think of anything right now, um, but, you know, it, it's, just, it's like, hey, Justin, get out there and talk more, you know, because sometimes I, I could be a gaff a minute. Um, but no, I think that, you know, I, I think that certainly, um, I, I say listening more and um, learning and learning from everybody in the industry is uh, the best advice I would have given and get from people. Totally. And I, I love the common thread of I think we're all in the same boat of continuing to just a publisher advocate. You know, without the publisher, there there's no industry. So we all have to kind of be on the same page for supporting and, and always moving forward. Um, yeah. This has been wonderful, Justin. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure. Well, Tina, Mike, thank, thank, thank you, you for having me. I'm glad we got to do this. this. We'll do the rain check in can, I promise. Yes. <laughs> All right, next year, next year. Exactly. Bunch of here we come. All right, my friend. Take care. Cheers. Thank you.